with. So let's pray. These are, these are great things to be praying over. Father, we just thank you for this morning, and we thank you for answered prayer for opportunities this week. Lord, is, uh, there are so many. There are so many cracks that you open in conversations through the week. Uh, Lord, give us the boldness and the courage, because we love you, to stick our foot through that crack and to, um, to proclaim you, even if it's small or if it's a long conversation. Thank you for um, even uh, Rachel and being able to uh, kind of come back to this guy, and I, I just pray that there would be uh, maybe ongoing conversations there. Uh, but just thank you for her willingness to share that, and pray for this gentleman's heart, whether he's a believer or not. Just pray that you would draw him to yourself closer, um, that he he would see the gospel, he would see you. Thank you for Tony and just the opportunity with his coworker, and uh, just pray that you would open um, her eyes to the truth, uh, to true uh, to, to the true reality of her sin, her need for you, um, grant her repentance and faith. Uh, please work in our heart. Lord, I pray even just for the foster care system and things that we've been talking about. Lord, just pray for wisdom, uh, what we should do or not do. Uh, but Lord, pray that you would please uh, work to reverse these policies that are de going to devastate even more so um, these children. And Lord, we pray for wisdom. Uh, Lord, we, you love orphans and widows. We know that. And so we do want to know how do we how do we minister to them? Please give us wisdom and discernment. Lord, we pray for our time this morning as we continue to talk about transformation and holiness. Uh, please help us, give us insight, give us understanding. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So, um, again, just kind of broad framework of where we've been. We've talked about our position of holiness because of Christ. He, he has, um, through his death, cleansed us from sin, but not only cleansed us, but sanctified us, meaning set us, brought us out of the realm of the common into the realm of the holy. So positionally, before God, we are seen as priests, even part of the high priesthood in a sense. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate high priest, but that idea of what Hebrews talked about, that we can draw near, draw near to the ultimate, the true holy of holies, which is ultimately where we're going to be in perfection. Perfection is dwelling in God's presence, enjoying, basking in his glory for all eternity, and that's where we're going. But between those two bookends of what Christ has done to call us to be holy and the ultimate realization of that, we live in the in-between of progression in displaying uh, the holy character that he has called us to. He's already given us this, that position, now we, we want to live out that position, we want to live up to that. And so we've been talking about transformation we talked about 2 Corinthians 3, that ultimately when we think about transforming, remember even the Israelites, what was their goal in the desert to, to, or, or the temple to bask in God's glory? How do we do that now? Well, we do it through seeing the glory of Christ mirrored through the word, specifically the gospel. So the gospel doesn't go away, but we see Christ's glory through the mirror of the word and the proclamation of the gospel. That reflects to us and that changes us. It it changes us like Moses' face was changed, only uh, we have a boldness and we continue to grow in Christ-likeness. We talked about Titus 2, that grace trains us. It's God's grace. It's the gospel. When we look back to the gospel, that trains us, uh, that, in, that is the motivation for our growth. And then we ended last week on Ephesians 4, talking kind of more about the process. What is the general process that is outlined in uh, Ephesians 4 for growth and displaying holiness or tr transformation into the image of Christ, right? If, if we're talking about growing in displaying holiness, we're also talking about, like 2 uh, Corinthians 3 talks about, 
uh, and even Ephesians 4 talks about, we're, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. What is that outline of that process as we think about dealing with specific sin issues and growth in our life? What is that process? Do you remember? Yep, put off the old man. And putting on the new man, and there's kind of a third step in between those two. Renewing your mind. Put off, renew, put on. Put off, renew, put on. Let the thief no longer steal. Put off. Uh, okay, uh, understand, renew your mind as far as what, uh, what you should think about with uh, uh, possessions and how you should use them and not steal them. But then what? Put on. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, let him do his honest work so that he may share. So the, the thief is no longer a thief, not when he stops stealing, but when he shares, uh, when he shares with those in need. Uh, and that's the general pattern of growth uh, in Christ-likeness. Put off, renew, put on. Put off, renew, put on. The motivation is grace. The motivation is the gospel. The process in general is that put off, renew, put on. Now, we just want to develop that so those principles aren't going away. But uh, I just want to show you more of how the scriptures talk about this transformation. And probably what we're going to do the next few weeks is talk about Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because all of those have to deal with transformation at one level or another. So at the very least, we'll talk about Romans 6. So that's where we're going to start today. Um, so go ahead and turn to Romans 6. And like we do, we're just going to meditate through the scriptures together. So we'll, we'll read a little bit, we'll talk about it, uh, and then we'll... We'll move on. So Romans 6. Romans 1 through 5, basically Paul, uh, basically in Romans 1 through 3, Paul outlines the bad news. Uh, you're all condemned. But here's the good news. Romans 3, uh, God sent his son as the propitiation for our sin. He develops that thought through chapter 5. Uh, and so really through chapters 1 through 5, there's been a lot of, uh, and especially chapters 3 through 5, a lot of talk about our position. But then in chapter 6, we talk about behavior. So someone go ahead and read, uh, let's say Romans 6, 1 through 4. Okay, so how does this relate to transformation? What is Paul talking about here? Yeah, you're a new creation. Absolutely. Uh, that corresponds to the idea of new covenant, right? Uh, that in the new covenant, you're a new creation. That idea of newness, they're all tied together. So good. Uh, what, else, what, what else is he addressing in 6, 1 through 4? Yeah, repentance. What do you... Uh, uh, where do you see that? Good. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and he starts with this rhetorical question. So God's giving you grace to cover all your sin, and that is true. That is absolutely true. But he's saying, does that mean that you just keep on in the state of, or the behavior of sin? Um, and he's like, uh you know, he uses the strongest negation you can in Greek to say, no way, Jose. That's, that's, that's the technical way of saying that. No way, Jose, right? Um, no. Um, but what does he use? So you guys are picking up on this. This is good. 
what does he use to say to justify we don't keep going on in sin? What's he using to, to justify? Yeah, we're dead to it. Um, good. Uh, so we're dead to that. Uh, and what language is he using? What's that? Buried. Good. So that's another way. Baptism, right? So that's that whole, um, it, there's a spiritual reality to baptism, right? That the spirit um, gives us new birth. Uh, he baptizes us into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. But then that's pictured, right? We get the picture of that spiritual reality in the waters of baptism. And I don't think Paul's separating those two here. He's, he's like, well, this points to this, right? Baptism points to your burial um, in Christ, your identification with Christ in his death and his resurrection, right? But, that, um, but he's talking about um, the, what that's picturing is your union with Christ, that key idea that through faith you are brought into union with Christ. You're identified with him. You're locked together with him. You're welded to him, right? And because Christ died uh, to sin and rose again, you also experience that. Not only as, like, I'm going to die, my physical body's going to die, uh, but also, and, and then I'm going to be raised again, but also in the idea of newness of life. The way I walk now, um, I, I, I was dead spiritually, but now I'm alive through Christ, and I get to walk in life, not death. If I was to continue in sin, uh, I would be continuing to walk in death rather than life. Um, so that's, that's uh, that idea of union with Christ is key in this chapter, and it's key as we think about our transformation. Uh, let's keep reading. Someone go ahead and read 5 through... Oh, ten. So what do you see there? Yeah, so there, there's a future hope of resurrection, but he's not, even, um, he's not even really talking about the future at this point, although that, that's, that's always there, right? But what, what's, he, what's he saying? Yeah, union with Christ. You're, you're united with Christ, which... Okay, if you're united with Christ, what is the implication of that, at least in this context, for Paul? Yeah, our body of sin is done away with. We are no longer enslaved to sin. When someone dies, and he says this, uh, where does he say that? Uh, verse 7, uh, for one who has died has been, and it's kind of a, the ESV translates it, set free. But it's actually the same word for justified, but it's in a, it's set, the way they frame the verb is peculiar. It's like justice has been done upon you when you die for sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's what he's going to say later in the chapter. 
and that's true in general, even from Genesis 3, right? Uh, well, even from Genesis, I think, 2 is when God announces that penalty. But uh, when someone dies, that's the penalty of sin. Justice has been done upon them, right? But now what is he doing? He's saying because you're united with Christ and because Christ died on the cross for people's sin, your sin, if you've been united with Christ, then you also died, and the power of sin, the penalty of sin, has been dealt with. It, uh, justice has been done for that sin. Justice has been done for that sin on the cross. And you get to participate in that through union with Christ. You see his argument there, right? You're united with Christ. Christ died. Uh, therefore, you get to participate in that benefit of justice being done for your sin on the cross, um, and not only that, but his resurrection. But the thing that makes it work is our union with Christ. He is our covenant um, mediator. And how are we united with him? We are united with him. We're welded to him. We're married to him, uh, if you will, by faith. Right? And that's what Paul is arguing from. And he's saying, because that's true, you're not enslaved to sin now any longer. You do not. In other words, what's another way of saying you're not enslaved to sin? You're free. In other words, you don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. No longer has yeah, no longer has dominion over you, and he's going to use that language uh, more, right? Uh, well, let's just keep reading. So uh, someone go ahead and read 11 through 14. So he's, he's painting this picture of union with Christ that's been displayed through baptism. This is who you really are. This is your identity and then what does he say through 11 through 14? Okay, so kind of the first 10 or so verses, he's saying, here's, here's who you are. You're united with Christ. This is the reality. And then he kind of gets into, okay, so what do you do with that in 11 through 14? And what does he say? What does he tell us? Tell us. Yeah, don't let sin reign. Even before that, where does he start in verse 11? What does he say? Consider yourself dead. What does it mean to consider yourself dead to sin? And not just dead to sin, but alive to God. What does that mean, to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God? Yeah. Re recognizing what happened in 6, 1 through 10, right? Or another way, how when you consider something to be... Uh, it's considering it to be true. Like the start of transformation is actually believing that it's true. Right? Now, that sounds easy, but why, why, don't, uh, why do we struggle with that sometimes? Yeah, that's right, right? So there's feels like often there's a disconnect, like, okay, that's true, but... Um, 
uh, you know, I've got, my actions are lagging, right? Um, and and that, we want those actions to catch up, absolutely, right? But what's the starting point? <laughs> Consider it to be true. Believe that what God is saying is true. Um, now, let's think a little bit more. Why do we struggle with that? Believe it that it's true that you're dead to sin, that you're no longer enslaved, that you don't have to sin anymore, but that you're alive to God. What? Yeah, we're still here. And what? Absolutely. Right, right. So there's a habit. We're habituated to sin, right? So it's natural for us. Um, so th- there's that aspect of it, right? Yeah, we fight with this reality because what's my experience every day? It, yeah, my experience every day is what? It's tangible. I'm still sinning, right? I still sin as a Christian each day, right? Now, here's what Paul is getting us to think about. Do I have to? No, I don't have to. Now, let's think about before being saved, before being united with Christ. Did I have to? I didn't have to because I was enslaved, right? I, I, I don't have a choice in the sense not that, um, you know, in the sense that, well, yeah, could I res- are all the bodily and mentally faculties there so that I could say no to sin? Well, yes, but morally, my heart is corrupt so that I, I can't not sin before Christ. But what he's saying is that now that you're united with Christ and your death is, his death is your death and his life is your life, you don't have to anymore. Uh, you don't have to sin. Um, now, if we think about that, right, that's, we struggle with that because like my experience, though, is that I do sin each day. Yeah, but each one of those moments of sin, the reality is you don't have to. There's never a time in your Christian life when you have to sin. Yeah, yeah. Before Christ, you're not, or you don't have the right sort of guilt, right? We might feel guilty, but for the wrong reasons. Right, right. So there's that idea of you can have a worldly sorrow, but not a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is like, what is my sin against God? What is my sin against Christ? Versus a worldly sorrow is like, ah, I'm sorry, I got caught for the consequences, right? Or I feel bad because I'm not a better person, or something like that. Rather than uh, I'm sorry because of my sin grieves God, the God who has saved me, the God who has rescued me. Um, but it, it, there is never the case, right? Paul is saying, you know, he starts all this, do you need to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. You don't have to. You don't have to anymore. You don't have to sin at all um, because, um, because of what Christ has done. So consider it to be true. In your fight against sin, how do we start? kind of on the put-off side of things, but how do you start that fight? Uh, You remember, I don't have to do this. I'm tempted to do this right now, but I don't have to because I'm united with Christ. How does that help you when you're you're faced with a temptation to sin as a believer, right? How does that help you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that is so encouraging because sometimes when the temptation comes, it, you just, you're habituated to it to kind of think of Rachel's terminology. And you just like, well, I've, I've done this a million times before. I'm going to do it again. 
But the power of the new covenant, the power of, ultimately, he's going to talk later about the spirit living in you, is no, you actually don't. Christ has freed you from that. And so he says, uh, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God and do what? Let's keep listing some of those terms he talks about in 12 through 14. Absolutely, yeah. So that part of that process yes. is, is so that you don't, you know, if you're good in sin, right. you, can, you, you have a full side. Yes. Absolutely. So it's not like you're you're trying to put yourself in the way of, like, yeah. places or... Right, right. It's not some sort of weird triumphalism where it's like, ah, I can... I can put my way. I can go to a place where I would be tempted to sin, and I can prove that I'm not going to sin. No, you still use very concrete means of like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not going to go to the bar. I'm not going to do this or whatever it happens to be, right? Right. 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 So consider yourself dead. What else does he say? I think Eden said, "Don't don't let sin therefore reign." Your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Um, what else does he say? Right. And that's what we did before, right? You present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So that's don't do that. That's the put off. What's the put on? Mm hmm. Yeah, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Your members were instruments for sin. Now your members are instruments for righteousness. Put off, put on. Uh, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And I think, I look through, again, Romans, uh, the first few chapters of Romans this week, and it's like, what is he talking about with law and grace? Um, he's talking about, I believe, because Paul uses the law in different senses. I think he's talking about the idea that when you're, think of an old covenant believer. You're an old covenant believer, you're under the law. But uh, the problem is you don't have the indwelling spirit, so sanctification is really hard. Um, living in conformity is really hard. Not impossible, and God, I think, did, did sanctify in the Old Testament but it's hard because it's external. Remember, the spirit, it, it, God's presence dwells in the temple. You go to the temple or the tabernacle versus now the spirit dwells in you. Um, so what does the law do? And he's going to talk about this in chapter 7. The law provokes, right? It's like, well, this is what you should do, but I can't, I can't go there. The, law, the standard's good, but I, I, I can't reach it. I don't have the power. But he's saying you're no longer under the covenant. You're no longer under the Mosaic covenant where that's just provoking you, you're trying to do works to please God, or you might be tempted to do that, but you're under grace. Um, God has forgiven your sin, and he's empowered you. He's given you the strength of the Holy Spirit, so you don't have to live under the dominion of sin. Right? All right, um, any questions or comments before we keep rolling with the chapter? Yeah, Pat. Yes. And 
Absolutely. And that's what he's talking about, right? The battle for sin starts in the mind, right? Because sin starts in the mind. Uh, James says it this way, right? Each one's lured and enticed by his own lusts. Um, their own, uh, it's, it's kind of the word where we get the word idiosyncratic, right? Your own peculiar lusts that are peculiar to you. But that all starts here, right? And so how do you fight that? Well, yes, you say no, but reckon it to be true. Reckon it to be true that you, you don't have to. You're dead to sin, and you belong to Christ. You were enslaved to sin, but you don't belong to sin anymore. You belong to Christ, and you belong to righteousness. So don't present your members to sin, but present your members to righteousness. That's one of the key starting points as you're battling sin and you're seeking to transform. Uh, Yeah, Tony. That's uh, 1 Corinthians. Right, yeah, absolutely, and, and that was a strong Greek thought, right? Like, the bo- I mean, that was just laced through the Greek culture, was uh, the body's bad, the soul is good, the body's a prison for the soul, so, you know, the body doesn't really matter, your spirit matters. So if Christ, just like Tony said, right, if Christ saves you in the spirit, body doesn't matter, but that's exactly opposite what the scriptures talk about. We are, as people, God made us body and spirit, or body and soul, however you want to say that, united in a complex unity. Uh, so uh, he's even talking here, right? The, there's something about sin that is in, connected to our physical bodies. There is. Uh, that's why when you die, right, you're, you don't sin anymore, right? Um, I don't think, and I think even from this text, you could argue that those people that die, even apart from Christ, uh, it's not like they're resurrected and they keep going on sinning for eternity. They're actually done sinning, except... Uh, they, they're apart from God because of what they did in the body, right? But he's saying, like, you as a Christian, because you're in Christ, uh, you don't have to let those lusts of your body uh, or your mind, whatever, uh, overtake you at all. You don't have to sin, right? And then he kind of finishes this up, this idea up even more, delves into it more in 15 um, and following. So someone go ahead and read 15 through 19.
Good. What do you guys see in that? Continuing to talk about transformation and living the new life. What do you see? Yes. Yes. We're no longer enslaved to sin. But he's basically saying, look, however you act, right, through the mind, through the body, however you act, it shows who you're enslaved to, right? You're not ensla- if you're a Christian, you're not enslaved to sin anymore. You don't have to let sin be master over you. But what? You're enslaved to God, and you present your members as slaves to righteousness. Where do you see holy, uh, holiness language um, in this? What's that? Yeah, verse uh, 19. Yep, yeah, verse 19. Speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, what did it look like to present your members as slaves to impurity, right? It was, it was a habitual act, but I don't know where you guys went with your, your history, but I know in my history, I would not only go to sin, but I would also devise new ways of sinning, right? And I would think up new ways, like I'd figure out new ways to present my members as slaves to sin and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Uh, using God-granted creativity uh, to, to go after sin, right? But he's saying, you once did that for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now what? Present your members as slaves to righteousness and then literally unto sanctification, to sanctification, Right? That's that sanctifying language, right? Positionally, we're sanctified. Well, now we're slaves to God. Our identity is as slaves to God. We can say no to sin. We can obey, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so I can obey. I can do righteousness. And what? That's showing or displaying that sanctified state that Christ has brought me into. Um, Yeah, David. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, let's go ahead and read that last bit. So 20 to 23. Someone read 20 to 23. What, um, so what more do we see in that? What's the idea of fruit? David was already bringing us that idea of fruit. What's, what do you see there?
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, Julie. Yes, it's both. And again, I think that, and I think you see it in chapter 7, I think you see it through Romans and Paul's thought in general, right? When he's talking about not being under law but under grace, he's saying, you're not under the old covenant anymore. You're under the new covenant. You're under the covenant where there, there is grace, um, uh, and, um, but there's also law. There's also law in the new covenant. And you see, uh, in the new covenant, in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it says what about the law in the new covenant? The law is written on the heart, right? Paul will sit later talk about the law of Christ. So it's not that the law is going away. That's not what he means by not being under the law, but under grace. Oh, it never has been. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it totally was, right? Like, you do see what um, in the Jews, right? And, well, even it, it's just humans at large, right? Um, they take God's standard, whether it's the con- law and the conscience or whether it's God's law that he gives through revelation, and they twist it. It's never designed to be um, relying on that for salvation. It's always, uh, you know God through grace, through his grace and his work, and here's how you live in light of that. It's instruction. But people flip it around. We've talked about this a lot, but it's, it's helpful to keep reminding ourselves. Legalism is when you flip that around and say, well, in order to have that relationship with God, I need to, I need to obey uh, it's just the opposite of that. Because I have a relationship with God, I will obey because of his work. Yeah, Susan. True. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's the new heart. I mean, there's action on our part, but it's action flowing out of a regenerated heart, a desire, right? A desire to obey God. We act, but it's all driven and propelled and motivated and empowered by God's work um, through our hearts to do those things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well said. Yes. Yeah.
that's absolutely true, right? And that's what he's saying. Don't present, right? You're going you're gonna to go one way or the other. You're either going to present your body as a slave to sin, or you're going to present your body as a slave to righteousness. But either way, it's intentional. To use your word, and that's a good word, um, it's intentional. So um, that's where it feels like sometimes growth and obedience feels like you grit and teeth and do it, right? Uh, you're saying, all right, I really want to go this way. I know that that's wrong. I know I don't have to. I know this is the way that God wants me to go. I'm going to present my body as a slave to righteousness, and I'm going to act that way, but all of this bathed in the reality that I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit to allow me and empower me to go the way that God wants me to do. Um, And it feels like grit teeth sometimes, but it's actually born out of that desire. Um, even when you grit your teeth like that, right? You're, you ultimately, you're, de- you're saying your desires are for God, um, and the Holy Spirit has produced that desire in you, even though it feels really hard in that moment um, to obey. Yeah. Presenting your body to sin is essentially you're just uh, doing nothing. Like, just to present your body to sin, the, the, you, you do nothing and that'll happen, right? To, you can't just be passive, right? So you're fighting upstream. Uh, or to use another, I like that analogy of the fish fighting upstream, it's hard. Um, or to use that other imagery I uh, stole from someone else last week, right? It's the guy climbing the stairs with the yo-yo, right? We feel up and down, up and down in our Christian life, and yet what? by God's grace, we're doing the yo-yo while we're climbing those stairs uh, to greater display of the position that Christ has already purchased for us, the sanctification that Christ has purchased for us. Yeah, Ken. Yes. I would say, I would argue yes. So someone thinks, because Paul, Paul kind of addresses that in Philippians 3. He says, don't think that I've already, because he's kind of dealing with that. People are saying, well, I've already reached it. I've already arrived, right? I've, I've, I've arrived. Um, and he's saying, no, you haven't arrived. You're still on this journey. Final sinless perfection doesn't happen till heaven, right? So what's interesting about the Christian life is we're told to pursue something that we will not attain this, the, in this life. We will grow. There ought to be progressive growth. If there's not progressive growth, something's wrong. Um, something's wrong, and we, we, uh, we're suspicious if that person has been born again, right? But there's progressive growth. Sometimes there is the yo-yo, right? Okay, we're on a downside or we're on an upside, but there's that steady growth um, in godliness uh, throughout our Christian lives. That reflection of, remember, what, what's the idea? Christ has already said, all right, you were the janitor, um, now you're the, in upper management of this company. He's already given us the position, and it's like, whoa, i got to live that out. I want to live up to that. And that takes time to grow and to live up to that, that position. The fullness of that, though, won't be until glorification when we're dwelling in God's presence, perfectly sinless. But we, we do see measured growth, um, not perfection, but measured growth, um, and maturity um, this side of heaven. So. so, big takeaways from this chapter. 
That idea that you don't have to sin as a believer is huge. Uh, it seems simple, but God is saying, Christ is saying, Paul is saying, um, start there. Reckon it to be true. Here's your identity, and then live out that identity. So when you're the, the you know, as we've said, the rubber meet the road application would be, um, okay, I'm tempted to go after the sin I've done a million times before, but the truth of this chapter is I don't have to. I don't have to. And I can actually present my body as a slave to righteousness, which is such encouragement and help in that moment. Um, and you, we continually, just like we were creative in presenting our bodies to sin, well, now we want to labor at being creative and presenting our bodies to righteousness as instruments for righteousness. And we're working hard at that, just like we worked hard at sin, now we're working hard at um, reflecting that righteousness. So, all right, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this um, day. Thank you for the realities of the new covenant. Thank you that we do not have to sin. We thank you for the grace that you have given. We thank you that we can obey. And Lord, we're going to be faced today and tomorrow and this week with so many temptations um, to, to go back to the old way, to the old man, rather than live out the new man you have called us to and have given us. Lord, help us to obey. Even now, Lord, we desire as we seek to gather together um, to, uh, to sing, to, to praise, to do membership affirmation, to do all of those things, oh Lord God, we want to do it because we love you and we want to obey you and present our members as slaves to righteousness. Lord, we long for perfection when we will be with you and enjoy you uh, forever. We thank you for those promises. In Christ's name, amen.